1: You're listening
2: to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. Hello, and thank you for listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Surplus. Once again, thank you guys for joining us. With me on the other line, as per usual, it is Mike Bossetti, the site expert for theRaptorsRapture.com. Mike, how
3: are you, man? Oh, life's good. How about you?
2: Fantastic. Life is good. The Raptors are doing not so good as of late. They're 17-8 and eight after their scorching hot start, which isn't a bad record. Fifth in the Eastern Conference. Their offense has dropped to 17th in the NBA, which is very far from what we've been seeing. But their defense is still up there at number four. Let's get right into a little bit of news here, Mike. The Kawhi return happened on Wednesday, and that's probably the biggest, most anticipated game of the season so far and probably of the season as a whole. What are your overall feelings on, you know, the ceremony, the video that the Raptors gave to him, everything that went down? Was it, was it too much? Was it too little? Was it just right? What do you think?
3: No, yeah, not to sound like a homer, but I thought it was absolutely perfect. That kind of dark uh, tribute video where they did the footprints on the floor, And then the pause there to wait as if it was those five seconds. I just thought all of that was really cool. It was something that was different. A lot of times what you see is these standard cookie cutter things from franchises. So to see them kind of go to extra effort, give something different than what you normally see was really cool.
2: Yeah, it was uh, the thing that I was worried about was that it was so hyped up. Like the game was really hyped up. And obviously, like the actual basketball part of it was a little bit of a letdown for Raptors fans. But the ceremony and, you know, the boardman gets his ring kind of thing, it was so hyped up. I was worried that it was going to fall a little bit short and it wasn't going to be what everyone kind of expected it to be and that it was going to be a little bit of a disappointment. But you're right, they did it absolutely perfectly. And the Raptors, I guess, aren't necessarily known for their good basketball ops kind of thing. But this was as good as it gets. The, the footprints was really cool. I, that's, I knew they were going to really focus on the shot for, for a big part of the video and a big part of the ceremony, because we know how important that was, but, you know, being able to do that and, and think outside the box was a really cool way of doing it. And his ring presentation being from Kyle Lowry, I think was more meaningful than a Larry Tannenbaum giving it to him, or, uh, even if it was Masai Ujiri or Nick Nurse, I think, him and Kyle Lowry did have this special bond out of anybody else on the team. And, uh, it was, it was really, really cool to see. And it was a good, it was a good start to a really special night that ended kind of sourly with the Raptors getting absolutely punked, um, by the Clippers. What do you think of his whole like middle finger ring stuff, like having the middle finger emoji on it and it, being fitted for his middle finger like I kind of think it's a little bit corny but I get it what what, do, what are your thoughts
3: no that's the same reaction I had is kind of one of this well that's kind of weird I don't understand that but if he wants to do it it's his ring I'm not gonna tell him anything but yeah I thought that was kind of weird kind of I don't know just to me didn't really seem cool at all or how he was trying to have it sound but Whatever, he can do his own thing uh, with his championship ring, and I can't because I don't have one, so.
2: Yeah, fair enough. As we know, the Raptors have have had some injury issues so far this season. Obviously, Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka being the big ones, both missing 10, Ibaka missing 10 games, uh, Kyle Lowry missing 10-plus. And now Fred Van Fleet is missing time. He has missed his third straight game in that game against the Brooklyn Nets. Are you starting to kind of get a little concerned with the injuries? Like, do you feel like it's just going to be maybe one of those years for the Raptors?
3: Yeah, maybe. Uh, What I'll just say is I feel in today's modern NBA is you should always almost expect one person of maybe, maybe not Kyle Lowry's level, but of like a Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet to be out. Just, it seems that now teams are so cautious about injuries, particularly the Raptors and players get banged up here and there. And you almost have to expect your team to be playing without one of those guys. And I don't think the Raptors are the only organization that that applies to. So to see them play so well without uh, Kyle and Serge at the beginning of the year was really important to me, just seeing that, okay, even if this team has a guy or two out, they can continue to go on. But, yeah, the minutes are a little bit concerning. I think they're being really cautious with Fred, which is smart. But at this point, I there is some level, to me at least, of – you need to be willing to kind of move on with one guy missing.
2: I feel like, especially with how, I want to say lucky, kind of like lucky they were with injuries last year, because aside from Kawhi sitting out those 20 plus games, there wasn't really any real injury issues that came along with this team. Like obviously JV had that, Uh, broken hand but that didn't matter after he got traded for Gasolin I mean he was healthy by that time but the only real injury issues that we had were load management related kind of things and this year maybe because of the extra load that they were put on at the end of last season like in going to the NBA finals and winning it and stuff and like all the extra mileage that comes with that but yeah you're right they should be ready to play without some of these guys but It's not going to be comfortable, and it's not exactly the most intriguing to watch them play, and it's not exactly encouraging when you have a guy like Van Fleet out, who has been playing so well, and when you have a guy like Kyle Lowry, who is kind of the motor of this team, and and a Serge Ibaka, who is a really good contributor. Um, I think they do need to be ready for that kind of thing, but I also think that the Raptors kind of need everybody contributing at the same time at their best to be their best, which is like obviously such an obvious thing to say. But I think in the Raptors case, it's it's there more than maybe other teams in the East.
3: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think that the Raptors just because of, you know, I don't want to say a talent deficit, but they rely a lot on being, either you know, they don't have one guy to kind of carry them through and no disrespect to Pascal Siakam, but a lot of what they rely on is just being smarter, more cohesive than other units, particularly defensively. So if you lose even one chain of that, you know, uh, one piece of that machine, then it really hurts you more than I think it does other teams.
2: Absolutely. So that'll be it for our news segment of the show it's a quick one. Um, but before we head on to our numbers of the week, are you are you starting to get a little concerned on this little bit? rut that the Raptors are on. They're four, they've lost four of their last six games. Obviously, they beat the Brooklyn Nets um, by eight points last night, which was a, a good game for them offensively. But are you are you starting to get concerned about their the team as a whole, or are you just kind of put it on the back burner kind of thing?
3: I'm starting to get a little bit more concerned. You talk about their win versus the Brooklyn Nets, and if they didn't have that amazing shooting start to begin the game, who knows if they even pull off that victory because they only won by eight. And obviously, one, Pascal Siakam couldn't be defended by their team, and that might happen more nights than not. But they also shot the ball pretty well from three. And I don't know if you can – I mean, they didn't finish great, but they started off so well that I think it had a larger impact on the game than maybe it should have. Um, Yeah, this is starting to look a little bit more like the team that we expected at the beginning of the season. And that's so good. I still expected this team to be really – talented and, you know, fight for that five seed, four seed area, but they don't look like the beginning of the year when they were just smoking opponents.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. And, and, you know, uh, presumably when the schedule kind of dies down a little bit uh, in this little uh, stretch here, they've got four or five pretty, no, nah, I don't want to say easy games cause it's the NBA, but they're not, they're not playing the, the talented teams that they have been playing as of, you know, this last little bit of, of, their schedule, so hopefully when that dies down, they're able to kind of get their stuff together and and get the offense back on track and and hopefully you know integrate Kyle Lowry back the way that we're used to and obviously Fred Van Fleet as well once whenever he comes back whenever that is and and hopefully Serge Ibaka gets back into things and you know the the concern level is there um but it's not it's not so much that I'm like yeah this team is this team is screwed
3: yeah I totally agree with you there. Um- Speaking of last night's game, they go fourteen to forty, and maybe I don't want to step on future segments. So, but they go fourteen to forty from three. They would be fourteen for thirty-five if Patrick McCall never enters a game. <laughs> what what does he have over Nick Nurse? Does he have photos of Nick Nurse committing a crime? What is going on there? He he must. It, there
2: there has to be something because like McCall, I can't believe that this guy is getting actual minutes in the game like we did a we did a little like over under on minutes for McCall last night we were like all right like what do we think over under like five and a half and we all were like well we want to go under because that means that Nick Nurse is doing the right thing and not playing him but we all had to go over because it's Patrick McCall and he somehow gets into every single game for a decent chunk of time and it's ridiculous
3: yeah, 1-7 last night. Uh, they played him for 16 minutes straight in the first half, which totally doesn't make sense to me. And I, I don't know, 1-7, 0-5 from the floor, and he actually finished with a positive plus-minus. So they'll say that. I think his defense is still a little overrated. So, yeah, I I don't understand the ex- the Patrick McCall experience at all.
2: Maybe Maybe they think that, like, there's – if he gets a certain amount of minutes, it just means that the team's going to win a championship. That could be it. That could He's be.
3: yeah. I think that's the karma side yeah. of the argument that just eventually, <laughs> like, I just don't understand how he has. And I, you know, going over six last night also isn't a good sign for him, but I don't understand the him doubling up Terrence Davis for minutes. And I don't think I will.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for the news and our kind of, unlike us bashing of Nick nurse there a little bit to end it. Um, So yeah, we'll be right back with the six numbers. So we are back with the six numbers of the week here. And I guess we're going to stay on this bit of a negative vibe to the podcast, which isn't great, but we will turn a little more positive as it goes on right now. The Raptors are two and eight. Versus the top of each conference with their losses to Philadelphia and the Clippers. Mike, is this a big enough sample size to kind of worry about how they fit into that? Not necessarily contenders category, but contenders for their conference category.
3: Well, it depends. If you didn't have this worry coming into the year, I'd say, no, this isn't a big sample size by itself. We'd have to wait a little bit more into the season. But this was kind of my thought coming into the year. And what I worried about for this team, I th- I always believed that this team was smart enough that they'll be able to beat up on dumb teams or young teams. And typically those are one and the same. And I worried about their ability to beat the top end opponents just because once you take away Pascal Siakam, there's not a ton of shot creation on this team. So if it was just by itself, no, I wouldn't be worried. But when this was kind of my worry of the night coming in, then, yeah, I'm starting to be a little bit, concerned with this team's ability to take over particularly offensively against the top teams in the east
2: yeah and to me like 10 games is obvious like in in the grand scheme of things 10 games isn't a lot but 10 games against eight teams i think is kind of a big enough sample size to to get a little bit worried but with what the Raptors have been through, we we talked about the injuries early on there in the podcast, but to to see what they've gone through and like trying to bring back Kyle Lowry, obviously against the Clippers in that scenario, and then not having Fred Van Fleet for this stretch and just trying to integrate everyone back into things and not having Lowry, not having Ibaka, them having a tough schedule with all the the minutes to Siak and with the minutes to Van Fleet. I do think that, that is kind of a caveat that we have to look at and, and maybe look at it through a different lens because of their struggling situation, I guess you can call it. It's not it's not a great sign, that's for sure, that they're not beating up on these good teams or, or anything like that. But most of the games have been relatively close. Obviously, that game against the Clippers, they got blown out and it wasn't really a contest ever except for a quick stretch in the third quarter kind of thing but every other game has been a bit of a contest and has been at least entertaining through i don't know 36 minutes of the game and and through you know 40 40 minutes or whatever it is um there has been stretches of some really good play against these good teams they just don't seem to be able to put it together for the full 48 and like you said that might just be you know once it comes down to the end of games against good teams and your offense doesn't have a guy like a Kawhi Leonard or or like a I don't know, LeBron James. But those are obviously extremes. But Pascal Siakam isn't that scoring threat like the best teams in the league kind of need to have. But, I mean, like I said, I'm not exactly all that worried about it.
3: Yeah, that's fair. That's probably the smarter approach to take than mine <laughs> than looking for confirmation bias of an issue that I thought was coming into the year. But again, I just I I think when you kind of look at the other teams around the top, the Raptors don't have the high end talent of, say, a Philadelphia, Milwaukee, even the Celtics have more kind of guys if you list the top of their roster. So they're going to have to rely on players being smarter and more cohesive than other units. And I think that only takes you so far. So to me, the biggest worry with this team always was going to be in the postseason. That doesn't change. But uh, you're right, you know, this early into the season, maybe that's just me searching for things rather than actually watching what's happening on the court.
2: Yeah, and, and they do still have a lot of games to to kind of prove this trend wrong, and, and hopefully they are able to prove it wrong um, by, by the end of the season and by the time playoffs come when they are playing these guys in more meaningful games. So we'll move on to our second number, and this one's a bit of a cheat because it's our second and third number. Um and it has to do with Kyle Lowry's performance since coming back. We obviously mentioned that they're trying to integrate him into, into the system again, and, and a big reason for that has been the injuries, and a big struggle of the Raptors as of late has been the offense, and a lot of it's to do with shooting. So Kyle Lowry, since coming back, is shooting 31.4% from the field and 22.6% from three, which are both very down from his career numbers and from his season numbers prior to the injury. Is this just him getting back into the into the swing of things, or is this starting to concern you in terms of Kyle Lyra's production?
3: No, I'm not too concerned if it was someone else, if it was Fred VanVleet, if it was Norman Powell. I might be a little bit more worried, but we have enough of a track record with Kyle that I'm just not going to. It's going to take me longer to be concerned about his play at this point in time. And, you know, where he was playing prior to the injury was going to be a little unsustainable as far as he was just shooting the leather off the ball. So I understand that. But this new, again, it's Kyle Lowry. He's been a veteran for so many years. It's going to take longer for me to panic about him. Uh, what say you?
2: Yeah, I agree. Like it's not the it's not the biggest thing, but when the offense is struggling like it has been, it would be nice to see him maybe step up and 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 shoot the ball a little better than he has. But it's not it's not for the lack of him trying. Like some of last year when we saw him struggling, there were games where he took like four field goal attempts or, or two field goal attempts, but he's still shooting the ball the way that he is. He's still making or taking those transition threes that every Raptors fan loves to see. So if he wasn't doing that and you could see his confidence kind of waving there, then maybe it would be a little bit concerning, but it's Kyle Lowry. Like you said, we know what he can do. He's, he's performed well for the Raptors in years past. He's going to continue to perform well. It's, it's not like he's not putting up numbers as well. Like he's still hosting 14 points per game or something like that since coming back, even with the bad shooting. So he's still getting, he's still getting to his spots and he's still, he's still getting open shots and he's still taking them, which is encouraging. It's just, they're not falling for him right now. And, and that should change as he gets more comfortable with coming back from his injury. And, and as he gets back into his form and whatnot from, from the game.
3: One thing, one thing I'll say about him. And I noticed this pre injury as well. Is and don't get me wrong, I never, it's not like Kyle Lowry even at his prime was Russell Westbrook, but he just looks a little slower defensively to me. And they have been rotating him off the primary option, which they did last year as well, putting Danny Green on that guy. But he just he doesn't look quite the same as he used to be defensively. And I understand a lot of what he does off ball is important in taking charge charges things like that, but on the ball he just doesn't seem like he can really stick with much of anyone anymore and that to me is more concerning than his offensive numbers because that's something that makes more sense as a long-term trend I don't expect Kyle Lowry to have lost his ability to shoot but if you say he lost his ability to stick with guys defensively that doesn't shock me at all
2: yeah no I uh I totally agree with that and hopefully he gets his legs back under him as maybe this season goes on just because of how long uh that extra, you know, seven, to eight games that the Raptors don't usually play in, in the playoffs there when winning the championship and stuff like that. So I, I, you know what, I think he'll, he'll come around and, and get back to it. And I, you know, with the load kind of being taken off of him with Van Fleet playing so well this year and with Norm Powell starting to really, really heat up as the season has gone on, that might help him a little bit as well. And, and not put so much stress on a guy like Kyle Lowry, who is older than the rest of the team and and all that kind of stuff I've seen a a couple things thrown around on Twitter here and it it's not necessarily from anyone important at all but they're saying that maybe the Raptors should start looking at Kyle Lowry coming off the bench when Van Fleet gets back with Van Fleet playing so well and with Norm Powell's offense really really uh, on fire right now is there any point at which the Raptors are going to think about Kyle Lowry coming off the bench. Like to me, I think that's uh, absurd. And just as a, 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 Raptors fan and knowing the Raptors it's, I don't, I think that there's zero chance of it happening. What say you?
3: No, no chance of that. The one in theory, I understand the idea of Fred coming off the bench because that norm obviously plays better in the starting lineup. And That's because to me, he's a play finisher, not a play creator. So he's very great at finishing around the basket. He obviously has been shooting the ball fantastically now. Not only has his play improved because of the confidence of being in the starting lineup, which obviously has a great deal amount to do with it. I think it's also just being around other playmakers like Pascal and Gasol and things like that. He's not asked to create the offense through pick and roll. He's being asked to attack closeouts and to shoot open shots. So, I do understand the want to put Norman Paul into the starting lineup. The problem is with putting Fred in the second unit is if I'm Fred Van Bleed, I've been playing fantastic this year and I'm in a contract season and you're going to tell me to come off the bench. I would be furious and it's not worth the chemistry from that point. So yeah, I understand that Norm in a perfect world, Norm can start, but you know what, if you're Norman Paul, you haven't been just a hands down starter in the league. And sometimes when you're not and you're on a good team, you have to come off the bench, so rather than trying to look to move your veteran point guard who's making $30 million to the bench or move Fred VanVleet to the bench, you have to just expect Norman Powell to step up when he's in the second unit and play a little bit better, and maybe you rotate him into the starters earlier, but to me, you have to start Kyle and Fred for the immediate future, barring any kind of crazy streak or anything like that
2: yeah, and and we did see how well the Raptors were playing when Kyle Lowry was not in the lineup with his injury and stuff like that. But you can't you can't tell me that the Raptors are worse with Kyle Lowry starting and worse with Kyle Lowry playing alongside Fred van Fleet in the starting lineup. It's just like nobody can convince me otherwise, which maybe is maybe it's a very closed minded take from my part but I think that's just as you know we've seen Kyle Lowry play in everything that he brings to the table both offensively and defensively even when he's struggling is just is a is a different thing than a guy like Norman Powell and is a different thing than a guy like Fred Van Fleet and it makes you feel a little bit more confident in the team as a whole that's just my opinion
3: and even just from the non-basketball aspect of it if I'm Kyle Lowry and I've been this team's most important player for so long And I mean, minus the quiet year, obviously, but, um, and I've been this guy and you are relying on me and you tell me as a 33 year old point guard, Hey, we want you to come off the bench for the get of the team. My guess is Kyle Lowry knowing kind of how he's a little bit prickly is going to be like F off. I don't want to do that, which I kind of understand. So they're not going to make that switch anytime. Not only from a basketball perspective, does it not make sense? It doesn't really make sense from a chemistry perspective because you're just going to upset Kyle.
2: Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. Very well put. We're going to talk about another shooting slump here, and that's from Serge Ibaka. Uh, in this past week, um, starting last Saturday, he's shooting 29.3% from the field. The big thing that stands out is the 0 for 8 against the Clippers and as we've talked about injuries this whole podcast kind of and you know he's coming back he's getting into the groove of things but he's had a couple more games than Lowry has like how hard is it for the rest of the team to get going when two parts of their offense and their oiled machine is struggling the way that they are
3: yeah uh, well Serge did go 4-7 so hopefully uh, yeah last Brooklyn. so you're hoping maybe that him out of it a little bit but yeah it's going to be incredibly frustrating if you're another player on the team and that's I mean we watch Serge Baca live in that long mid-range area for forever and I know mid-range shots aren't exactly the greatest form of offense but when you're a big guy like that it brings your guy out from the basket and what he does shooting it so efficiently it makes sense for the offense so he's lived in that area essentially since he's came to the Raptors and to know that that's normally money it, it's difficult to watch for other players but you know, I expect him to fully get going. Those shots have been money shots all year, or I mean all of his career. So if you kind of just look through his history, he's been fantastic from that area. And I don't ex- I expect him and Kyle to get it together. But you're right, it does start to impact the rest of the teammates when you're seeing the ball go to that guy and just seeing a clear miss in what's usually great offense.
2: Is there anything that they can do to get him back into the rhythm, or is it just a matter of he just needs to start making shots?
3: Yeah, it's just time when, you know, I think the idea of bringing Mark off the bench is even worse than Kyle (laughs) or Van Vliet just due to what he brings to the starting offense as far as passing and things like that. And a lot of teams are going small against second units, and Mark's at his best when he's playing against other big guys just defensively, and I don't think offensively he does a great job of punishing smaller players. So I, to me, you keep him in the role he's at, maybe try to up his minutes a little bit in games that are already decided to give him more run on the floor. But to me, it's just a matter of letting him work through this. And we saw him play a little bit of power forward last night. That was interesting to me. Uh, I wonder if they're going to continue to do that. It appears it will. So we'll see how that works.
2: With the shooting slumps that have come, the Raptors – we, we mentioned their offensive rating at the top of the, at the top of the show now being 17th And this past week, they had a 96.4 offensive rating, which is the worst in the league. That's, that's horrible. That is really, really bad. Obviously there's a reason they're worse than league. Is the offense finally starting to concern you? Or is this more of the team that you expected at the top of the year?
3: Yeah, just for context of how bad that is, the difference between 96 and uh, the worst team in the league for the years at New York Knicks is six points. That's (laughs) the same as the New York Knicks and the Toronto Raptors on the season. So whatever gap you see between Toronto and New York, usually us in the past week have had that same gap with the Knicks. So, yeah, really tough there. Uh, No, to me, this offense never was going to be the strength of this team but you you always hope that they're hanging around between 15th and 10th and where they've been in the second half after starting off so hot is really concerning i don't believe they're going to continue to miss these shots and as you know when you miss shots it starts to impact the rest of your offense because guys are sagging off other players and now the loud, uh, lane is crowded And now you have more turnovers because the lane's crowded and it all kind of feeds on itself so they'll get shooting better, particularly when Kyle and Serge get better and back from injury, but it has to be at least a little concerning when you're posting an offense that's been that terrible.
2: Yeah, and the one thing that is less than encouraging to me is like seeing how the team looks when they are missing these shots because they have been getting a lot of wide-open looks and a lot of catch-and-shoot threes and a lot of really good shot attempts, but when they are missing the shots and when they are – passing up good opportunities when they start missing the shots is when they do look at their worst. And and if this trend continues of them, like they're shooting uh, falling off from the extreme high numbers that they were to start the season, that is going to concern me a little bit because they do seem to get a little bit stagnant when they aren't hitting their wide open threes. And and I don't expect them missing all these wide open threes to continue but when they are missing their shots, it is it is less than an impressive offense. And you said that they had the hot start yesterday uh, against the Brooklyn Nets, but after that hot start, they were they were relatively poor on offense. And and when they aren't hitting their shots, it makes it tougher for a guy like Pascal Siakam to get to the lane, and it makes it tougher for uh, a guy like Kyle Lowry who who likes to drive to the paint and, and dish out. It makes it tougher for them and. And the confidence thing is, is really important for basketball. And if you keep missing shots, your confidence is obviously going to go down. And then that might lead to more missed shots. And, and it could be a whole downward spiral from there. Um, you know, everyone struggling at the same time doesn't help right now, right? Like Pascal Siakam has, has had his fair share of struggles. Obviously, against Brooklyn last night, he, was, he had an unbelievable first half. But then the second half there... When the whole team started to cool down, so did he. Kyle Lowry struggling, Fred Van Fleet out. Norm Powell kind of seems to be the only guy who's actually playing above his head at the moment, which has, you know, in itself has been really fun to watch. But he's not a big enough part of the team to really push this offense. And, you know, if they if they do start hitting their shots and they are hitting at a their three-pointer, their three-point percentage is, you know, 38, 39, 40%, then this team looks really good. But when it's not, it's... It's dire situations for the Raptors.
3: And one of the concerns coming into the year was the shooting, at least for me. And that's because I expected Patrick McCall, Ronde Hollis Jefferson, and Stanley Johnson to play a good role. Uh, obviously, Stanley Johnson hasn't come back from his injury yet. But during the beginning of the year, you didn't see a ton of Ronde Hollis Jefferson and you didn't see any of Patrick McCall. And they came in last night and were 0 of 7. I do wonder that while I do like what Ronde Hollis Jefferson brings to the table and uh, I mean, we've already bashed on McCall enough, but when you insert those guys into the rotation, it's just going to hurt your three-point percentage. They were 7 last night, and those two Rondé Hollis-Jefferson jumpers looked absolutely hideous. His shot is alarmingly ugly, so when you play those guys, it's going to impact your three-point percentage just because those guys can't shoot, which is really simple to say, but <laughs> worth saying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um- Do they need to switch any schemes up or or switch the way that they're playing, or do you think they're fine the way that they are and and they'll work their way out of the struggle somehow?
3: No, yeah. To me, they're fine. I would like to see I mean, the offense even run a little bit more through Pascal, which sounds crazy because they're going to him a lot. But I like when he gets isolated on that low block and they use his post-ups not for Pascal to score, but to bring doubles and things like that. So if they can try to run a little bit of him with the pick and roll, try to get him switched onto lesser defenders, have him post or isolate versus because there's really only, you know, at any given time, one or two guys on the floor that can even pretend to guard Siakam. So if you can get him isolated on a lesser defender, bring the double and then start the swinging motion of the ball being kicked around, then I like that. But in general, I think that their schemes have been fine. It's just offensively, they don't have a ton of guys that really strike fear into you
2: yeah, and we've seen this team struggle in the past. Like last year, they had their fair share of games where they were missing threes and and you know, years past, obviously they've had their fair share of offensive woes. But uh, you know, as long as it doesn't continue against these bad teams, then you know, there's nothing to really worry about. I mean, it's you know, having the worst offense in the league for a four game stretch is never something you want to see your your favorite team do but it happens right like every team has bad games and and when you're playing tough teams when you're having those bad games it looks even worse because those good teams are going to exploit that and you know it's not too much of a worry but it is something to think about as as the season goes on the last two numbers that we have here are part of the raptors hustle stats and this is where the encouraging Uh, Kind of hoopla comes in uh, for this team over the past week. So over the past week per game, they're contesting 67 shots, which is third in the NBA, and they're getting 9.8 loose balls recovered. So I did mention that it was encouraging and and seeing them play that their style of game. And this is, I've mentioned this a bunch of times on the podcast, this is the team's identity. They're gritty, they're tough, they're a tough team to play against, and it's, and it's for these reasons. They're going to make you take tough shots, and you're going to take those tough shots, and you're probably going to miss those tough shots. And then the loose ball is recovered, you're going to have to fight for the ball. You're going to have to win it, those 50-50 battles. You're going to have to fight someone like Hollis Jefferson to get that ball, or a Kyle Lowry. We saw that beautiful play um, to get the... I think it was a mid-range jumper from Serge Ibaka. He tipped it back from half-court. That was pretty cool. But with them playing like this and, and sticking to their guns, is it, is it an encouraging thing, or is it a little bit not encouraging, I guess is the word, um, when they are sticking to their guns and still losing these games?
3: Well, it's, a, it's one, you gr- it's great to see a team play hard. I don't, that's a hobby, an obvious statement, but it's a bit concerning maybe that they don't have another gear to get to. So what you see happens a lot of times is teams that play extremely hard during the regular season underachieve in the postseason because those hustle balls, those 50-50 balls that you were getting every game that the opponent wasn't because you were out playing them. Now, all of a sudden, you don't get those balls because everybody's playing harder once the postseason comes. So yeah, maybe it's not great that they are, or it's a great thing that they're playing so hard and you want this, but it is at least a little worrisome that if the effort level is equal, I don't think that this team is quite as good as those other top end teams of the East. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you there. I think you, you said it perfectly because you know, for one, it's, great to see them play really hard and it's very encouraging to see that they still have that fight in them even when they are losing when a lot of a lot of teams and players when they lose maybe start to get a little complacent and they don't necessarily like to to go after those balls if you're going to lose a game but you know them still having that heart and still going out there and playing really hard is encouraging but like you said you you know they don't have another gear to go to maybe they do maybe they're going to get 12 loose balls a game and they're going to contest 75 shots a game when it comes down to it, but I, you know, it, it does seem a little, a little tough because they're doing these winning things and like, they're doing things that should make teams win games and and make them better, but it's just not working right now, which hopefully that changes. And I'm, you know, I'm sure it will. I'm, I'm sure it will. But that's the one part that is a little disencouraging is that they don't have, a gear to go to, and they don't have another tool to pull out of their tool bag and say, ha, we're going to now try a lot harder than, you know, then missing all these shots isn't going to, isn't going to matter as much. But, you know, that tool has already been pulled, and I don't know how many more things from the tool bag they can really pull out of this, right? Because they're, they're doing it all. They're laying it all out on the floor, which is a really good thing to see, yet you would like them to be winning these games, obviously.
3: Yeah, totally agree.
2: So that's it for our numbers of the week. We'll be right back with our games of the week and predictions. So, Mike, the Raptors played, if you can't Sunday's game, which we are, they played the Sixers, the Bulls, the Clippers and the Nets. We talked about the Clippers game and the Sixers game kind of being the ones that were the most exciting for us coming into this week, because obviously the choir turn and then, you know, the Eastern Conference matchup with the Sixers, but which game out of those four was your favorite of the week?
3: Mine, I had to say it was the Nets game. So, you know, the Raptors obviously have been struggling so well, it was nice to just see the team really catch fire from three at that point during the first quarter. When every shot was going in, it just felt good to see the team clicking offensively. And Marcus Gasol looked a little bit more aggressive from two-point range. Uh, Serge Ibaka played well, kind of got out of his funk. Even Kyle Lowry, though, he finished 5-14. of I thought he was great when he was on the court. So to me, it was that kind of get-right game against Brooklyn. They're going to hopefully carry that win into the next stretch of games here. Yeah, it didn't maybe look as nice in the second half as it did in the first. But just... Kind of seeing individually all those guys get going, and then hopefully a little bit less of Patrick McCall moving forward. <laughs> and I, I think that can really help the team kind of spark their offense.
2: Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna cop out a little bit on this one and say a six minute stretch of the Sixers game was my favorite game of the, <laughs> of the week this this week because they were playing absolutely horrible against the Sixers to to start the game and, and basically for. Forty minutes or so, they played like trash, and and they were they. It looked like they were gonna lose by thirty. That's kind of what I was expecting. It's what it's what it looked like, but with about like eight minutes or so to go, eight, seven, six minutes to go, kind of thing. They really turned it on and brought it to within a six point loss, and it it did look like there was a chance that the Raptors were gonna somehow pull it out and and end up winning the game. Obviously, it didn't happen, but. That was kind of the most encouraging sign of them playing really well this week. And so that's why I'm going to go with that uh, that six-minute or seven-minute stretch of, of that Sixers game. Now, coming up this week is a, <laughs> a not very exciting stretch of games. We're not going to count their Sunday game against the Mavericks because we would have done a new podcast by then. They played Cleveland... On Monday, at home, they're in Detroit on Wednesday to play the Pistons, and on Friday, they're back at home to play the Washington Wizards. Mike, if you're excited for any of these games, which one are you most excited for?
3: You know, on paper, the game should be Detroit. That's obviously the Dwayne Casey game. The Pistons are playing a little bit better now that Blake Griffin's back in the lineup and they have some shooters on that team. So that's probably the game that would be the most exciting from just watching a pure who wins, who loses perspective. But to me, it's the game uh, against the wizards. So the Raptors play Washington, Washington has a spectacular offense and a absolutely horrendous defense. That's a game where if the Raptors are going to get it going offensively, it's going to be against that opponent. So I expect Pascal to have a monster game in that performance. I expect them to send a lot of doubles his way. Uh, and When they double, then they can obviously swing the ball around the yard and hopefully get a little bit uh, warmer from three-point range, help them break out of that slump. So, yeah, you know, the Cavs aren't great defensively either, but the Wizards at least could give them a little bit of run on the other end to keep that game competitive for longer. So I think that the Wizards – has every opportunity of a let's break out of our shooting streak against this team. So I'm gonna go with the Wizards.
2: Yeah, I uh I'm with you on that one because it could be like a 150 to 150 game and, and that kind of that kind of thing is always fun. I mean the Raptors defense is really good, so seeing them go up against a a really hot Wizards offense will be fun to watch and see how they what schemes Nick Nurse uses to stop them will be very interesting. But yeah, like Pascal Siakam could very well go for 50, right? He could he could go for 50 that game or, you know, Kyle Lowry could get back into things hopefully by then having played the Cavs and the Pistons, they are hot <laughs> again and and they are shooting the ball with with ease and with uh some conviction there. So, you know what? I'm going to go with that Wizards game as well. However, I do always like them, you know, seeing the Raptors beat the Cavs. So, if they if they can do that and and they can exploit the the hot garbage that is the Cleveland Cavaliers, then maybe I would go with that game as well. So those two are kind of the ones on my docket um, for this week. And then obviously Dwayne Casey coming back with the Pistons. You know what? I was talking I was talking smack about these games. They're all going to be fantastic. They're all going <laughs> to yeah, be fantastic. Yeah, you really did
3: a 180 <laughs> as you were talking about it. So. I know, I know. The Raptors have struggled enough recently with difficult opponents. It's fine that maybe these games aren't going to be a primetime matchup. And hopefully we get to watch them just beat the doors off a few teams.
2: That would be fantastic. I would like to see nothing more. That'll be the show for us today. Mike, as always, thank you so much for coming on and and talking hoops with me.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'll see you next week. Absolutely.
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes.